This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. This is the Moxie episode, and on it we're featuring recent University of Colorado Boulder graduate Jesse Knori. If Moxie means burly ranch hand, walk uphill to school both ways, and an old school work ethic, then Knori is the embodiment of that word. Recently, she placed 15th in the classic sprint at the 2017 U23 Nordic Ski World Championships. But for the moment, she's calling herself retired from competitive skiing on her doctor's recommendation that she forego elite level training to be mindful of her health. Here's the thing. Back as a middle schooler, Kenori was diagnosed with severe rheumatoid arthritis. Allow herself to be sidelined by that and not pursue her ski goals? Nope. Remember, it's the Moxie episode. So, who are you? How old? Where'd you move from? I am Jesse Canori, uh, 23 years old. I am moving from an array of places. I grew up in Jackson Hole, spent a lot of time in Sun Valley, and most recently I just graduated from University of Colorado Boulder. And now I'm here. Jesse now lives in, in Bend, and she's actually living in Nordic Nation Worldwide Headquarters <laughs> basement. It's true. It's true. I have to, I have true, to be yeah. transparent. Yeah. And this is a side note. My... We're enjoying having her stay with us because I have a 14 and 9-year-old who are a little bit snarky right now. <laughs> and that mostly they're better behaved around Jesse. Yeah, mostly. Okay. You are a fifth generation? Sixth. Okay. Well, your bio said fifth. I, I know. Is that a it's mistake? Sixth. Yeah. There's this mistake. Yeah. Okay. Well, her CU bio says fifth generation. Okay. We'll have to talk to their folks. Yeah. Sixth generation Jackson Hole native. You were born... Were you born and raised there? Yeah, born and raised. Uh, my great, great, great grandmother was the first white child over Teton Pass to settle. And so they've we've been there for a while. Wow. Yeah. And being a sixth generation uh, Jacksonian, that's right. And how old are you again? 23. So sixth generation Jacksonian. Presumably you're coming into the school system with a ton of familial baggage. Yeah. Uncles, aunts, brothers, dads, moms. So were you sort of like, oh my gosh, I need to hide out? Yeah. Uh, my great grandpappy Johansson yeah. was like a naughty kid. You know, my dad and his two brothers paved the way for a really low bar for us to set Uh I think I saw most with my PE teachers, they had all had my shop and my PE teachers all had my dad and his brothers. And so I came in with a lot of, I mean, I was never Jesse growing up. It was always Kenori and that was kind of standard for our whole family. Um, but it was pretty funny. And so when did you, you you're clearly a, a lifelong athlete. Mm -hmm. And so according to, I want to, your, your bio here at CU, she was a competitive figure skater for five years. When was that? So that was going from pretty much third grade until eighth grade. And we, my mom and I recently uncovered some footage of one of my competitions and we had a good laugh. And was that a fairly successful endeavor? Yeah, I mean, I was on the podium all the time. It was pretty funny. I mean, no one... Like, it's my fun fact. Like, if we're playing Two Truths and a Lie, I always throw in figure skating because no one assumes. Like, I'm not super graceful or coordinated. 
and people never could see it but it was something about being on the ice it kind of links well with skiing and you had to really try it was a puzzle piece of how you could achieve better technique and everything but yeah it was pretty i haven't been on really since eighth grade on ice skates i've been on hockey skates but not ice skates oh is that what you call those you don't call them figure skates no i mean like toe pick just oh yeah because it's yeah. got that little serrated yeah. blade in the yeah. front <laughs> for bread cutting <laughs> <laughs> What was your signature move? Ooh, I really, I enjoyed sow cows and I could do double axles, but never triple. Um, do you leave the ground with a double axle? Yeah, you leave twice, so it's two. Thus the double. Yeah, yeah. thus the double, yeah. The the skill set for figure skating transferred over to skiing? or I think in some way, I mean, the motion's a little similar, but mainly understanding that you'll never be perfect was a good, I mean the curve in becoming a really good figure skater is really similar to becoming a good skier. It's just a lot of work. And we had ice time. Our ice time was probably from eight until 10 every evening. And that was, I mean, I was 12 and younger. And so I think it teaches you a lot of discipline and time management already. And then you were into swimming? Yeah, so, so I always swam. I swam pretty much from when I was three or four on. Um, I did it competitively in middle school and then I kind of switched over to just swimming for a while and skiing. And how did this swimming go for you? Swimming went well. Uh, I was, I don't really, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm not living in the past anymore. Left my letterman jacket at home. Um, oh yeah, no, let's live in yeah, the past. <laughs> in the past. Uh, we were national, well, we were state champs all four years that I was there for high school or for, Yeah. Yeah, three years that I was over high school. Um, I went to states for 100 backstroke and 50 freestyle and then the relay. So so we're obviously interviewing right now because th this isn't an aquatic nation. No. <laughs> so uh, you got into skiing, I think, your freshman year of high school. High school, yeah. My first time was actually, well, so my coach was in for swimming was pretty much like you have to either start swimming year round or do a similar sport. And one of the girls on the swim team was a junior and she was doing Nordic and she convinced me to come out and just try it in the fall. And we actually roller skied. So I, I didn't even, I had Nordic skied beforehand. They just put me on a pair of roller skis. I remember borrowing some really old, the purple Alpinas to clip into these roller skis. And I mean, the school was housed 300 kids total. So it wasn't very large in square footage. And we, I think it took two hours to get around the school building. And I remember being like, I don't think I can do this. Um, but I had a good group of girls and it became more of a social thing at first before I started to really find it. But it was hard, yeah. How long did it take you until you were like, yeah, I'm competent and not only competent, but now I can sort of push myself physically and not, start, not really think about, okay, my technique's bad or I'm gonna fall? Uh, probably a year, I think. I remember the transition, at least until my junior year of high school, of going from roller skiing and then to West Yellowstone and never understanding how my coach just seemed seamless in it. But now I understand, like, you don't think about going from roller skiing to skiing. You just, your body just knows. Uh, but probably the first year, year and a half, it was a big learning curve. So you strike me as someone who is, you know, you're all in. If you're into something, you're all in mm -hmm. and a competitor. Yeah. Meaning, I, I guess I'll just leave it at that, a competitor. Yeah. You, you race to win. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. 
I am a competitive person. Because most people, I think, who are wired like that, they don't give it the time to develop the skills, mm-hmm. right? Because it's so hard to learn. Yeah. That they just kind of like, screw it, I'm not winning at this, so I don't think yeah. I'm gonna win at this, I'm done. But you kept with it, I, obviously yeah. you kept yeah. with it. Yeah, it was really, so when I was really young, my mom had me doing piano lessons uh, for probably six years and I hated it because we had to practice like two hours a day or something all the time, every day. And I never understood. I was like, I hate, I was like, mom, I'm never going to do this. Like I hate practicing. I just want to go and play. And then whenever I reflect back to that, I think of how funny it is. Cause now, or when I was training still, it was like five hours a day, some days, and it was never a have to. So I think it was finding the fun and, understanding I like I grew up with a really cool age of people that were in it and so I think the people really kept me in it and then I ended up being top five and I had two top 10 finishes at Wyoming State Championships my first year and so my coach pulled me aside and was like I think you should at that time because in Wyoming it's high school and then there's club as well and the club is in Intermountain but then high school is part of High Plains and so my coach pulled me aside and was like, I think that you should join the club next year. Like you should start this summer. And just her really showing me that she could make something with me. And it was more than about results. Uh, just developing as a person meant a lot to me. So you had a, a solid junior career. Oh, we mm-hmm. don't need to go into all the details. Yeah. And you ended up skiing for... Uh, I always confuse myself with this, even though my wife is a graduate of this. See you. The yeah. thing is, I've seen University of Colorado yeah. at Boulder, and I've seen Colorado University, I think. I don't think you've ever seen Colorado University. Well, that's what's so confusing about the CU thing. I think I want to see that. Yeah, it's because everyone says University of Colorado, so everyone thinks it should be UC, but the abbreviation right. for it is CU. University of Colorado at Boulder. Mm-hmm. You spent four years there. Yeah. And that obviously is a very tough place to ski. It's it's a, one of the Western schools. They bring in a fair amount of foreigners. And so the spots on a team at CU are a little more hard to come by for U.S. athletes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's very true. I actually, we got really lucky. I like to think that I got lucky, but that over my four years, I earned, I showed that I earned the spot on the team. Um, we came in with, there was no one like my freshman year, it was six new girls. Everyone had graduated or left. And so there were two Americans and four Norwegians. And we pretty much like, I don't know if, if I would have gotten on, if the situation was different currently, but being able to have that opportunity and then be pushed with the foreigners to prove and show myself and everyone else that Americans can keep up in the same caliber was a really cool opportunity at that school. Because you had a really successful collegiate career. What What is a highlight or two of your collegiate career? Uh, I think hands down, I mean, the two I have are U23 championships for the classic sprint was one of the most fun. I mean, I've always been more of a classic sprinter in build and passion. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of that in college. And so it was really cool to be able to still race that at U23 World Championships. I remember just towing the line and looking around and being like, she's skied a World Cup this year. She just won her nationals for her country. Being like, they've had a couple World Cup starts and understanding that I was right next to them. And I had the opportunity to prove myself 
to them that America has stepped up their game a lot internationally, but also just to be able to be at elevation and in a home course was a really cool experience. How'd you end up finishing? 15th. Yeah, that was, it was fun. It pretty much came down to the final sprint, just double pulling. And it was, it was cool. It was definitely something I didn't expect. Oh, so that was not, uh, what did you expect going in there? Well, I hadn't even, so I was initially only signed up for the skiathlon and the 10K and Brian had emailed me and he was like, there's an opening. Like, would you like to do it? You're first up. If you say no, it goes on. And I had a really bad, as most people, classic sprint at senior nationals just due to the interesting weather and conditions. And so I was a little bit hesitant because I was like, I don't want to let anyone down. Like if someone's better at this, but at the same time, I knew that I couldn't say no to it because I had been, I was second there at junior nationals. And so I really liked the course, different course, but really liked the area. And so I said I'd do it. And so I came in just being like, I want to qualify. Uh, and I did. And then I ended up improving my spot. I think I qualified 18th or something. And from a collegiate standpoint, I know you were part of an NCAA championship team. Mm-hmm. Is that a highlight or? Yeah, I think that more so individually, I mean, it's always awesome to bring it home with the team. Uh, the next year after that, when it was in Steamboat, I had my best race for that season and I remember I really like racing in really crappy conditions I think it's really fun I it was probably 65 degrees and we had a 15k classic and it was I think it took us an hour 15 hour 20 people probably would have thought we were doing the Holman Cullen 30k at that point like uh the first lap took us a good 22 minutes and I'm really like mods one of our teammates would be like kept asking our trainer if they'd already gone around on the lap and he was like no they're still out there uh but I just really enjoyed kind of the mental part of Nordic skiing and I really enjoy when it's not just extra blue okay so you so one of the things you know I was given a heads up you were moving to Bend and so I was like okay who's this person <laughs> who's the stranger gonna be living who's at my the house strangers <laughs> might be in the in the basement, in the basement where she doesn't like spiders, and our basement—it's kind of, it's a classic basement. There's really no windows, <laughs> dug into like lava bedrock here and then. Um, she seems to be doing fine. But and here's a here's a plug for anyone looking for like handyman type awesome work. Dakota Black Horse Fun just kind of put up a wall, a door. This is a little too much information, but our laundry room's down there and we have to go down the stairs. We're like, you know what? Yeah, we take a left or you could just take a right into Jesse's room. So we're like, (laughs) let's put a door and a wall up. And so anyway, she's pretty styled out with that. So I wanted to do a little background research. I'm like, who is this person? And turns out you kind of have, not that your story isn't already totally compelling. (laughs) You do have kind of an interesting story. Yeah. So to start off here, so, and I remember reading this, I was like, wow, holy smokes, that, that sounds one rough. And like, you're, you're a young person still. Yeah. You were diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. early. Early. Yeah, I was 12 years old. I think I'd had it probably two to three years before that. So what, well, first off, what is rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis and what were the first symptoms that you were experiencing? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which is now often juvenile idiopathic arthritis. They've kind of changed names uh, since my diagnosis, but I started, I mean, my knees were the size of grapefruits. You couldn't, I didn't see what my kneecap looked like until I was in high school. 
Um, I had this kind of electrifying shock that went through my entire spine whenever I would try to move my neck. And so we started trying to see doctors because it just wasn't wasn't in the realm of normal anymore. It started to really impede on my ability to do really regular tasks, like even getting out of bed or brushing my teeth got really difficult. And so we understood that it was more than just growing pains. And how old were you roughly when you were like, okay, something's happened in my body? Uh, 11. And how did you cope with that? I think it was, I mean, it was really hard for, for a while. I mean, I didn't understand why it was happening so young. And I think a lot of people in a small mountain town, you don't see that type of thing very often. And so to me, I didn't understand what I was supposed to be doing, but at some point it just became a normal and it stopped becoming something that was wrong. For someone who couldn't tolerate as much pain and discomfort, would it have been like a game over situation? Yeah. I mean, so I was told by my doctors to never to train 30 minutes, three times a week maximum. That was all that my body could handle. And when they say train, they meant walk or light swim. It wasn't intervals or bounding. And this is like back in Jackson. Yeah. This was when I was in middle school. Um, so that's kind of actually the main reason I stopped figure skating was because I was diagnosed with arthritis and the pounding on the ice became really difficult. And I went into swimming a little more seriously because to me that was a really good outlet and it was low impact. Uh, I've never been able to do breaststroke. My knees don't bend that way. And so that cut me out of really two events. I couldn't do IM or breaststroke. And so, I don't know, my progress there was pretty limited to freestyle and backstroke. Uh, and then, I mean, I've always had a really high pain tolerance. I cut my thumb three quarters of the way off when I was five with a butter knife and I didn't know that it was happening. And so I think that's been really nice. I, I don't know, I like to think that anyone with the right mindset could do the same things and just understand that everyone's got something. So I just want to keep my time on here, but so how was that initially treated and how did that treatment sort of evolve as you progressed into more, you know, higher tiers of sport? And it was even progressing as I was getting older, medication was coming into play for RA. And so initially they were having, which they don't do anymore, uh, advising three to four injections of steroid into each joint and then you'd reach you're pretty much only allotted five maximum in a lifetime in each joint and even that I think was pushing it because it just immediately eats and everyone would always be like oh you're taking steroids but what they don't understand is there are like good steroids and there are bad steroids there are ones that pretty much were inserted in my body and would eat my bone and my muscle in the means to try to defeat the inflammation And so I was getting really weak, um, both bone growth wise, bone health and the amount of muscle around each area. Uh, so I had about four in both knees, both ankles, and I think three or four in my elbow. And then they stopped that. And I was on an array of medication. Uh, I was on a leave constantly and then prednisone a lot. I was, I've been on methotrexate, uh, and then for the longest period of time, I was on Humira and Embril. Uh, at separate times, they're just non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that you inject into your thigh once a week. That was, they helped my arthritis to a point. They do really bad thing. I mean, the symptoms started to become something that was more limiting than excelling. So what were the symptoms? I had, they manifested in me in a way that was more... 
it was attacking my liver quite a bit and my energy, my ability, I always felt like I was separated from the event as if I was looking at it through a glass window and everyone else was partaking. I had really weird vision things. Um, and then I think overall, my ability to understand where my gears were and what race pace could feel like and things like that were really limited. And as soon as I went off of them, I started to be able to feel my body a lot more. And instead of understanding what the drugs were allowing me to do, I could understand how to change my own career path and activities to allow me to excel differently. So, so at what point did you start kind of weaning yourself off the medication? Yeah. So I wasn't, I didn't wean off. I, my freshman year of college, as one does, I was exposed to a lot of illness living in the dorms and I had, I got the flu shot and then the next day I took my Embril, which completely suppresses your immune system for like a three day window. And the flu shot beforehand ended up getting me really sick and I had, I ended up getting pertussis, just whooping cough. Um, and I coughed for eight months straight, really. And so they pulled me off of the NSAIDs because my immune system couldn't handle anything that would drop it anymore. And I think I trained maybe eight hours in eight months my freshman year. And so I took a red shirt and I was off of everything. And as soon as the cough went away and I started feeling healthier, I understood that. And even like during the sickness, I could feel once the drugs were off about a month or two after stopping them, that I was feeling a lot more like who I used to feel like. You also, there's something here in your CU bio, the 2014 freshman. In her words, quote, I was able to hold first place in the whooping cough competition based on length and duration. Yeah. Also saying that, quote, six months of coughing is a great ab workout. The competitive aspect like had to be somewhere. <laughs> I, in fairness, I don't remember ever saying that. And I'm unsure if I ever did. But unfortunately, it sounds like something I would say. And so I think that it's just been part of my bio ever since. Did you come off of those eight months absolutely wrecked? Uh, I was pretty wrecked. I mean, I only trained probably 300 hours that next year for to make up for it and to try and ease into it. That summer was really light. Uh, a lot of biking to make up for what I had lost, a lot of road biking. Um, but I didn't really feel strong again until my junior year. I definitely lost a lot. And I think sophomore year was trying to make up for that. So you redshirted, and then what, what what was the treatment like, and how did you deal with it? You know, college, you're away from home. You, yeah. You're not around your regular doctors, I'm presuming. Although I'm sure CU had good. You know, Boulder's got great medical staff. How did you manage that in college? I was removed from the dorms uh, halfway through the first semester, moved into an apartment, um, and I pretty much just did school. I couldn't, I had to have my mouth completely covered with a scarf or I wore a buff in pretty much 60 degree weather or colder because I couldn't breathe in anything that was too cold. I wasn't allowed to get my heart rate above pretty much 110. Um, so I couldn't really bike to school. It was pretty much a lot of walking. That's, that's hard to do in Boulder. Yeah. I mean, cause there's so many hardcore athletes like by osmosis. Yeah. Just passing. Yeah. Like people are passing you walking and it's hard right. to be like, no, you have to slow down. <laughs> this isn't a competition. Right. Yeah. So it was hard. I mean, the fresh, it was hard for that to be my freshman year as well as exposed to something pretty rough and kind of life stopping in a way without being around a familiar environment. 
not to throw anyone under the bus, I'm just kind of curious, you know, from a programmatic standpoint, elite college programs mm-hmm. are really geared towards mostly dealing with the kids. Success. Yeah, success or the kids that are like, quote, you know, either on the trails or on the court or on the field. Yeah. You know, what was that like for you, you know, having this identity as like, you obviously have been dealing with rheumatoid arthritis. You know, you're going to a major ski program and all of a sudden it's like you're cruising around campus like you should be the person in the bubble. Uh, My coaches were really honest with me about it and they understood. I mean, I've always, I got used to, predisposing my RA to everyone that was trying to recruit me into college and letting them know that I had an autoimmune disorder, but I knew how to handle it and I wasn't allowing it to stop who I was. And then it became another challenge when I was sick and it wasn't something I could control and I didn't know how to handle it. And pretty much with whooping cough, there's nothing you can do if you don't catch it within those first two weeks. It just does its course. And so I had a talk at the end of the year with my coaches and they were pretty much like, is skiing hurting you in the long run more than it's helping you? And it's something I've had a talk with a lot about whether or not what you're doing to your body is worth it and whether the hours we put in training and the amount of time it takes, if I'm ruining more than I'm helping. And I remember just being kind of shocked and, but it made sense. I mean, in their part, they're also, they're a business and they're also concerned about my well-being. But for me, I couldn't see that side of it. Like I always had a path of success that I wanted for myself and I wasn't there yet in skiing to give up. And I'm really glad I didn't. Uh, but I pretty much just told them, give me a year and I'll prove to you that I'm better than this. And how long did it take? I started to, sh- I mean, I came back that year uh, in good shape and... I ended up being, cause you can only take three to NCAAs and I was just the fourth for my sophomore year. And I think it was good. I think I would have, I don't think I had the endurance base to compete well in the last half. And then being able to build up that summer and go into my junior year feeling really strong and then finish uh, top five at NCAAs in the classic race. And then I came back really hungry my senior year to just really prove to myself what I came here to do. You know, I'd heard story. I've heard stories. You know, I started as I'm. She's a rebel. You know, I've no. I I'd heard stories of you being having to be carried off the trails after, like skate races, maybe in particular. Yeah. So, how did you know you're pushing your body to extremes, in this sport, yeah. and your your immune system's already compromised. Yeah. So how did that play? I mean, was that true? I mean, like, what yeah. would happen to your body? Yeah, I got a lot of. It was even funny, like showing up here people recognize me from NCAAs because a lot of them are East Coast and they would they came and watched the race and they made the connection that it was me that was being carried off the course and it was uh, I ended up having to race in my warm-up pants which is like probably like the dorkiest thing in the world that a Nordic skier could do once my body gets really cold and it was a it was a blizzard temperature of a day in Jackson New Hampshire Uh, and it had been unfortunately kind of a set of cold skate races this year and the first, I don't remember the first time I had to get kind of carried. It was pretty bad in Alaska when we were there, but I was able to pull together a race. But pretty much what happens is from my knees down and my elbows to my hands, I lose complete feeling. Uh, they kind of get really stressed. And when they get stressed, I inflame. And then when they get so inflamed, I'm not able to bring any blood into my legs. 
was pretty much, and my, it just, everything shuts down. At some point, I think muscle memory was the thing that got me through and just mentally being like, I never in my mind would think that quitting would be an option in a race. Like you put on a bib, you start, you're going to finish the race. Um, but a lot of times once I get to the finish line, then my body kind of is able to flush out and then I just usually collapse or I can't lift my legs at all. And my team was awesome about it. I mean, they knew and yeah, I got carried out a lot, which was, it's hard for your ego to take. But at the same time, I think everyone, if they know respects and understands that, I don't know, it's something that has to happen if you want to prove to yourself that anything can happen. So how did you end up coming to Bend? And in that, as you're describing that, maybe talk a little bit about what's happening with your skiing at this point. Yeah. Uh, so I was in touch with Bernie. Bernie. Bernadette Nelson. Sorry. Yeah. Everyone's first name basis. Uh, I got in touch with Bernadette Nelson at U23s. She was our coach. And I had pretty much told her that I knew my ski career was done after this year, but that I wasn't ready to let go of the sport. And so if she knew of any coaching positions or if Bend Endurance ended up hiring, that I was really interested in a job. And so we kind of let that be. I didn't really hear from her and things got pretty busy with school. And so I was just allowing things to happen. And then about a month before graduation, I got an email from her that just said, there's an opening. I'd love for you to take a look at it. Like, we'd love to have you on the team. Uh, let me know. And then we had a phone call and I was pretty much, I mean, I, I think any Nordic skier can understand that it's a really hard sport to leave. And so it was, I pretty much took the position, um, moved out here pretty much two weeks after, and I've been here for almost a month now. And who are you, like what age groups are you coaching? Is there a range? Yeah. So it's quite a range right now with the summer. We have almost 40 college kids here and then about 20 comp athletes and then anywhere from like about 10 Devo kids. So anywhere from people who are just under 14 years old to 22 years old is the coaching range right now. And then once August turns around and the college kids go back, then we're just dealing with middle school and high school athletes. You know, I explained to one of the editors of Faster Skier, you know, I was like, oh yeah, you know, Jesse's living in our basement. I'm gonna have to say that again. I'm living in their basement, yeah. <laughs> I'm a moocher right now. <laughs> well, it's great, it's great. But my, I've been like, okay, no, no complaining kids to my kids. Don't complain in front of Jesse. Look, this woman has been through a ton. And from what I gather is there's no BS when it comes to like pain threshold. So I'm curious, how do you, try and manage, you know, being around kids mm -hmm. and I'll throw college age kids into that yeah. group. It's hard not to be um, focused on the self yeah. and anything that might be going wrong. It's like maybe gets magnified a bit. Uh, I, th I think I learned a little bit more about it at college, just understanding people have different pain thresholds and it's at times hard to articulate what they feel as well as people who have really high pain tolerances that you don't understand what the range of things are. So one thing to them might be minuscule to me and then vice versa. And so learning how to communicate. And also I think a lot of a tough love goes a long way. I mean, we all got it from our coaches and I think it builds the pain tolerance and also makes you understand what's significant in complaining and we'll have 
I'll have little breaks and training sessions if they're going a little long and people are starting to get a little bonk city and I'll be like, okay guys, you all get, you get one complaint and you're going to say it right now. And then you can't say it after this. That's it. Like just kind of clear your mind and allow yourself to bring forth intention into the workout instead of focusing on what's hurting or what you're thinking about negatively. That's something that like most people come to in their thirties maybe, or like, I mean, you know, I mean, truly. So, I mean, is that, is that the, the, the positive aspect of having something like RA maybe? I don't know. Like, yeah. what's the positive? I, I've always said, and I, I'll say it a hundred times, I mean, I wouldn't wish rheumatoid arthritis on anyone, but I would never change it for me. Like, I'm really glad that I have it because it taught me so much about who I am as a person, what my body can be, what it can handle, and also that I remember going to the children's hospital when I was first getting diagnosed and mine were insignificant compared to what I was seeing and kids go through really rough shit (laughs) and just understanding that I might be in pain but someone's always going to be in more pain and someone's worse off than you are and of course people are better off than you are but it's not it's not about that a couple of other things here yeah you doing all right oh yeah so in going through your bio, you were nominated for several awards. One, I think, is was an NCAA national award that you were nominated for. Or maybe you could describe what that is, but it's it's kind of athletes with serious moxie. The Honda Inspiration Award for Women in Athletics. And I was a top three finalist. And I think the other, the winner was Stanford. And I think the other one was from Alabama. So it was a two swimmers from Alabama and Stanford and then myself. And it's pretty much just an award that admires adversity in a lot of ways. And it was a really cool award and everyone's story was really just mind blowing. And I think it's another proof just to see, I don't know, like how strong human beings are and how they can lead a community in a way that's positive instead of letting their illness take them. So I want to catch you off guard here, Mm. but this might catch you off guard and I can edit this. (laughs) So one of the things I came across is that you lost your father maybe as a freshman in college? Three years ago. So yeah, it was was the summer before my sophomore year. Okay. And so you were coming off of, one, obviously you were growing up with rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. You had the whooping cough. Yeah. And then you lost your dad in what I believe was uh, an accident when he was horseback riding or something. How do you keep all that? I mean, how did you keep it together? Because most, I can imagine as a freshman in college, having none of the illnesses associated with your experience, that would have been hard. It was hard. I, thankfully I had this summer, it happened in June. And so I had June, July and August to kind of prepare myself. Uh, I went back to Jackson for about a week to stay and be with family and then in a lot of ways, I knew that I needed to head back to Sun Valley where I was living just to kind of get away. <laughs> and um, it was, I think, thankfully I had a really big support system and my dad was a huge member in the town and he was loved by so many people that they were all there for us and they continue to be. And I almost, I mean, I thought long and hard about not going back to school and about staying and helping my grandparents with the ranch and kind of being around the family because most of my family still lives in Jackson. But then I understood that if you 
kind of like dwell on the moment and you don't allow yourself to progress from it, then you just always are living in his absence instead of what it's making. Uh, So I went back to school and thankfully CU Athletics offers free counseling. And it took me, I mean, I never liked talking about things. I never thought that I would be someone that would heal or work well with someone. And I remember just showing up the first time to therapy and I just I don't even think we said anything. I think I just bawled for an hour. And I went back probably twice a week for, I think about six months. It might even been the full year. And he helped me so much in not just that, but in everything else that had kind of become really confusing after his death and trying not to put blame on me or anyone else was a big part of it. Um, And then I knew that my team was always there and it was a big part just to have kind of all these little niches of support systems. And I don't think my mom would have even allowed me not to go to school, but I'm really glad that I went back and it was a really hard first semester to adjust to things and kind of regrow as a person and start understanding who I was then instead of who I could have been and what things would have been. Um, but it's, yeah, it's pushed me to love skiing a lot more and love the process instead of just doing it because he was always there for it and he loved it. And so it was kind of trying to find Nordic skiing where he wasn't anymore. How did you kind of celebrate his memory? If it's private, it's private. But, you know, like before a race, you were like, okay, dad. I think and most times, I mean, I started, he would always when I was a kid, say things like, if it's if it burns, it's working. We, we got like a lot of ranch tough love. And I remember him one day before a race, he just looked at me and he said, is it in you? And I kind of used that phrase to fuel me through a lot of things where I would just, I used it all year during time trials before. And when you get into that mental tough start where you start doubting your body's ability to push, you just, I would just literally start saying, is it in you? Is it in you? And I used that a lot to get me through. I, the first, my first race I ever did was actually back at Soho. And that was the last time he had been at one of my races, my sophomore year. And I swear, like I heard his voice and it was, I like broke down in tears and it took a lot for me to get to the starting line that day. And then each day forward, it got a little bit easier and it started to turn into a place where I felt like he was kind of there in a weird way. Okay. Anything else? Mm -mm. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Peace. Thanks for listening to Nordic Nation's Moxie episode.